0: Neil, I'm Heather McGee. Really nice, nice to, to see meet you. you. Such wonderful <laughs> things I've seen. You're C-SPAN. You're famous. Thank you for everything you do. You're famous to me, too. I first met Neil Voltz in Florida, but he's not from here. He grew up in a small apartment behind a strip mall on the outskirts of Cincinnati, Ohio. His family wasn't wealthy, but they got by just fine.
1: My mom's a teacher. My brother's a teacher. I grew up in conservative politics and still hold a lot of those values. When he went to college, Neil got bit by the politics bug. I volunteered for some local campaigns as a part of a class at Ohio State and jumped right in. He found political
0: work exhilarating, the phone banking and door knocking, talking to strangers, the strategy and planning, and he was good at it. Soon, he got a job as a Republican staffer working in the House of Representatives. He was a foot soldier in the trenches of power
1: and legislative action. I moved to Washington, D.C. in January 1995. I showed up in D.C. as, you know, just a true believer in the power of politics and what we could do to make the world a better place.
0: One of Neal's proudest achievements was shepherding the Help America Vote Act, an election reform law passed in the wake of the Bush-Gore election debacle. While the work felt monumental, the salary of a House staffer wasn't. Neal had gotten married, and he was feeling insecure about not being able to provide a more comfortable life for his wife. And that feeling, like... He wasn't man enough because he wasn't making a good enough living, morphed into something else, an entitlement.
1: Relatively quickly, I, I found myself getting consumed with the wrong part of Washington.
0: Neil realized there was plenty of money to be made in politics if you worked a different angle.
1: I loved the, the power, learned to love the money. And those insecurities that I was dealing with turned into arrogance and ultimately a belief that I could cross the lines without getting caught.
0: At the time, Neil worked for Republican Congressman Bob Ney, and Nay did business with a lobbyist named Jack Abramoff. A few hours ago, once prominent and influential lobbyist Jack Abramoff pleaded guilty to
1: several federal charges and agreed to...
0: So Neil became a player in maybe the biggest corruption scandal in politics since Watergate.
1: That crime had to do with Indian tribes who were clients of Abramoff's lobbying firm.
0: When some Native American tribes wanted to build a casino, they'd hire Jack Abramoff to lobby Congress on their behalf. He would overcharge the tribes by millions of dollars and split the extra money with his business partners. In some cases, Abramoff would secretly lobby against his own clients to create more demand for his services, all while bribing Republican members of Congress with gifts in exchange for favorable votes. The investigation revealed that Congressman Nay had conspired with Abramoff. One of Nay's aides had also taken part in the illegal arrangement. That aide was Neil Volz. He was charged with violating federal ethics law and conspiracy to commit fraud. Neil's case was front page news.
1: The Washington Post and the New York Times and USA Today, you know, both Rush Limbaugh and Jon Stewart mentioning my names in their comedy bits. I became a poster child for corruption and the wrong things about political engagement in the process. Didn't mess with me. Just felt immense shame and guilt. Didn't mess with my identity, how I saw myself.
0: Neil decided to cooperate with investigators. He became the star witness in the case. And he started volunteering at a homeless shelter.
1: But the truth is, if you asked me in that moment, why are you going to volunteer at the homeless shelter? I think the answer would be that 80 percent of me would have said, because I want to look good for the judge who's getting ready to sentence me. And 20 percent would have said, because I'm, I'm drawn to this.
0: The volunteering, cooperating
1: with investigators,
0: it worked. Instead of prison, the judge sentenced Neil to probation, community service and a $2,000 fine. But Neil's personal life fell apart.
1: I lost my house. I got divorced. I uh, had to move out of the city. I went from, you know, being somebody who a lot of people wanted to be associated with and called and and be friends with to really being radioactive and, and not being someone who gets their phone calls responded to or seeing friends cross the street when you're coming their way. Those were tough moments.
0: He moved to Florida to start anew, away from politics. But now he was a convicted felon.
1: I remember looking for work. It took me months, ultimately, to find a job. And I looked every day and I realized as a former chief of staff and a staff director and someone who needed to check the felony box, that that was a bit much for somebody who just wanted to hire a waiter or somebody to hire, you know, somebody to work at the construction site.
0: Eventually, Neil landed a job, but it was a humbling experience.
1: I got a job working as a janitor the night shift at a restaurant. I worked every day, seven days a week for almost two years, cleaning toilets, you know, vacuuming rugs, uh, making sure that the restaurant was clean.
0: Neil also joined a church and continued volunteering at a homeless shelter.
1: Embracing the culture of second chances became a, a lifestyle and a personal value that continues to drive me to this day.
0: In 2015, Neil was volunteering working a church event at a local college when he noticed another meeting going on across the
1: hall. I saw this flyer involving felon disenfranchisement and said, come talk about, you know, an effort to get rid of felon disenfranchisement. So I walked in, and there were probably 25, 30 people in attendance. And right away, I just felt like, man, this seems a little progressive-y.
0: Neil, a lifelong conservative, was ready to walk out. But the man speaking to the small crowd caught his attention.
2: What we have here today is a group of individuals from all walks of life, from all political persuasions, that have had to endure decades of discrimination because of our felony conviction.
0: And after listening for about 30 seconds, he decided to stay.
2: And we understand that our criminal justice system does not only impact the people that are convicted and incarcerated, but it also impacts our loved ones and our family members.
0: Neil could never have guessed that that small decision would have enormous consequences. The man he met that day would give his life a renewed purpose, eventually helping to give back the right to vote to one and a half million people. From Higher Ground and Futuro Studios, I'm your host, Heather McGee. And this is The Sum of Us, a podcast documenting my journey around the United States in search of hope and solidarity. The man that Neil met at that meeting in 2015 was a powerful speaker. His name, Desmond Mead. And that day that Neil stumbled into that meeting, Desmond was talking about why it's so important to have a voice, much like he does in this clip.
2: When you talk about even the soul of our democracy, we have to start from the very basic element. And that element of us recognizing the humanity in each and every
0: one of us. Before that chance encounter with Neil, Desmond's life had taken twists and turns that were much different from Neil's. Desmond's family had moved to Miami from the U.S. Virgin Islands when he was 11. His mom was a waitress, his dad a mechanic. After high school, he joined the Army as a helicopter mechanic. He liked the work and serving his country. But there was also a lot of temptation in Army life. He got introduced to drugs and later became addicted. And within a few years, he was court-martialed for shoplifting on post and testing positive for drugs. Drug offenses often come with especially harsh sentences in military court because of the Army's zero-tolerance policy. So Desmond was sentenced to three years in military prison.
2: About two to three years after I was released, my mother passed away. That was a very traumatic moment for me, and I really dived deeper into substance abuse which led me to become homeless approximately six months after my mother passed away. And I was living on the streets for quite a number of years.
0: Back in 2000, Desmond was sleeping at a friend's house when the police showed up without a warrant.
2: I had the the misfortune, I should say, to be in the
0: wrong house that they went. His friend happened to have a gun in the house. Now, the gun was legally registered, but the police accused Desmond of having the gun in his possession, even though it wasn't his. As a convicted felon already, Desmond was charged with possession of a firearm, and that put him back in prison for three years. By the time he got out, Desmond hit his lowest point. He was back on drugs, homeless again. Life didn't feel worth living
2: eventually um, end up in front of railroad tracks, standing in front of railroad tracks, waiting on the train to come so I could jump in front of it. Kill myself, you know, I was tired. But the train didn't come. And I ended up crossing the tracks, and I checked myself into a substance abuse program. And there I was able to get help.
0: After four months in treatment, Desmond got sober, and he craved a different way of life.
2: And that started me back on the pathway of, you know, recovery, Uh, but most importantly, it was that experience that really caused me to really commit my life to giving back to others and making
0: this world a better place for everybody. Desmond put himself through college, earned a law degree. He had known what it felt like to be homeless, aimless, caught in a series of unfortunate events. He wanted to put his experience to use, helping other unhoused people. So he worked with homeless advocacy organizations. And then one day, he learned about the Jim Crow-era Florida law, a lifetime ban on voting for people convicted of a felony. Desmond met with people trying to overturn the ban he started thinking about what it would be like if people like him could vote.
2: I look at voting as probably the most telling example of citizenship. You don't have to be a citizen to have a gun. You don't have to be a citizen to work. You don't have to be a citizen to do a lot of things. But you got to be a citizen to be able to vote. And when you take away the right to vote from someone, you're basically stripping them of their citizenship.
0: He decided to get involved. And the thing about Desmond Mead is that when he commits to something, he goes all the way. Before long, he was promoted to executive director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, the FRRC. Desmond, a soft-spoken guy in private, had overcome homelessness, imprisonment, and addiction to find his voice as a modern-day civil rights leader.
2: And I need you all to really embrace that pain and that suffering that we all had to do at some point in our lives, to let these people up in here in Tallahassee know that this is our time. So I vote!
0: Florida's voting ban for convicted felons began during Reconstruction after the Civil War. That's when racist Jim Crow laws created segregated facilities and restricted access to the ballot box. Poll taxes and literacy tests prevented Black people from voting. Law enforcement routinely charged newly freed Black people with petty or phony crimes to keep them laboring in prison and away from civic life.
2: You could not escape the roots of felonious disenfranchisement, especially during the Jim Crow era or Reconstruction era. It was very specific, and it was to minimize the newly gained political capital of the African Americans that was just recently released from slavery. But I also say that just like a tumor in the body that's left unchecked, it would spread to other parts of the body. And what we've seen was something that was originally designed to minimize African-Americans' political capital started impacting even more people.
0: That tumor was the racist system enacted to keep Black voters away from the polls. But over time, the disease has spread. And in Florida, the majority of people with a felony conviction are white. These are the issues Desmond was talking about at that meeting that Neil Volz stumbled in on.
2: I noticed Neil in the crowd, and I, I felt there was something different about him. And I said, you know, I think he might be conservative. And Neil was off to the side, and he was just basically waiting, 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 waiting.
1: So I sat down, but in the back of my mind, I was like, man, I might get up and walk out of here relatively quickly. And man, I'm telling you within 30 seconds, Dez had me. Like, I remember the language that he used where he was talking about how nobody has a monopoly on pain. I would tell people, listen, I don't have a monopoly on the suffering, nor do I have a monopoly on the
2: solution. Right. And the minute I don't Make an effort to understand the other person or my opposition's point of view, right? It's nearly impossible for me to be in relationship with them.
0: Neil told me about the first time he met Desmond and how unforgettable he was. I remember my first time. In 2018, the think tank that I led, Demos, gave Desmond an award for his work on democracy, and I remember hearing him preach. His voice reverberated through the room like thunder. Everyone was captivated.
2: We're making this personal, and it is our time to finally have our voices
1: heard. Our voice! Our voice! Our voice! Our Our Our
0: turn! Right now! He's the kind of electric speaker who galvanizes people and changes hearts. Today, Desmond is a MacArthur Genius Award winner, Time Magazine called him one of the 100 most influential people in the world. But Desmond never forgets where he came from.
2: This is, as always, an opportunity to elevate the voices of people who are closest to the pain. And we have allies that are standing in the paint and fight right alongside us, man. But there ain't nothing, Neil. It ain't nothing like hearing the voices of people directly impacted.
0: But to Neil, on that day in 2015, Desmond Mead was just a stranger running a meeting. Neil heard a lot of himself in Desmond's story, a lot he could relate to, about second chances, starting over, volunteering with unhoused people. After the meeting, Neil went up to Desmond. They ended up talking for hours, and they both realized that Neil could put his political experience to good use again joining Desmond in the fight to expand voting rights. But first, there was the elephant in the room.
2: All right, here's the other thing, was that if Neil was going to be in this movement with me, he had to be more comfortable around African Americans and have to really be able to understand their point of view.
0: So Desmond created something of an immersion experience for Neil to learn firsthand about civil rights and racism.
2: Let me tell you, one of the first things I did when when I brought Neil on board was that I I said, listen, I need you to take some of our members somewhere, right? (laughs) And I got him to rent a van and he had some of our African-American members hop in the van with him and you know where they went? I sent them to Selma, Alabama.
0: (laughs) To the Edmund Pettus Bridge, Where voting rights protesters were attacked by police on Bloody Sunday, 1965. A site of solidarity and perseverance. Where Neil heard from the people on his trip, Black folks whose families had been there.
1: Just listening, asking, hey, what was it like when you heard this particular piece of news or when you heard about the march or when you heard... a?" about Dr. King's death, like to hear the family stories in a way that allowed me to see the greatness of that moment from a different set of eyes was really, really cool. I've
2: always been someone who believed that proximity can be transformational. And there's a lot of times in my leadership where, you know, I do believe that number one, that we're guided by higher power. And I just felt led to say, you know what? put Neil with this group of people and have them go to Selma.
0: The trip forced Neil to reflect on all the moments he'd heard white people around him disparaging Black people, how he'd tolerated racism throughout his life. Those moments came back to him after the bridge in Selma.
1: I have memories of being accepting of things that are wildly, I mean, fucked up, because I definitely had memories of hearing about people who I loved looking at Black people in a certain way. But then I felt incredible gratitude going, yeah, I mean, like everybody can change and we can do it a day at a time. And when we learn to love each other, we can heal some of those scars.
0: After Selma, Neil was all in. To join the movement for voting rights. To fight for people who were also barred from voting in Florida people who weren't that different from him after all. But the fight wouldn't be easy. Florida had some of the strictest voting laws in the country, and the usual process for getting people with felony convictions their right to vote was a stringent, narrow path that most often ended in failure. When Neil and Desmond first met in Florida, there were about a million and a half people who couldn't vote in the state because of a felony conviction. Just for the record, can you name some of the things that are felonies in Florida that our listeners might not believe are felonies? Oh,
1: Jesus. Disturbing a lobster trap is a felony.
2: Catching a lobster with the tail's too short.
1: felony. Getting caught in a construction site. Felony.
2: Trespassing on the pier. Felony.
0: So it's no surprise that it only took me about a day in Florida to stumble across somebody who'd been touched by the prison system. I mean, we went to go get smoothies in Fort Myers. We walk into this hippie tea and crystal shop, and the guy behind the counter, this young white guy named Austin, making us a smoothie happened to tell us about his run-in with the law after having a mental breakdown. He kicked an officer in a panic, he says.
1: Instead of going to the mental hospital for three days and getting the help that I needed, I went to jail for two months. I was left with three years of probation.
0: Probation and a third-degree felony, Austin told us, which meant when convicted under the voting ban young Austin would never vote in Florida again. There's a lot of people like Austin in Florida. People who ended up with a felony conviction for something that in other states would not have landed them such a harsh punishment. And for them to get their voting rights back, they'd have to petition the governor, who rarely said yes. Or get the state legislature to pass a law getting rid of the ban on ex-offenders voting. But that was a long shot.
2: I knew that we had to take that power out of the hands of politicians, whether they're a Democrat or Republican.
0: So in a radical move, Desmond and the FRRC decided to go straight to the people, to the voters of Florida. Their plan was ambitious. They wanted to pass an amendment to the state's constitution. Amendment 4 would end the lifetime felony ban on voting, except for people convicted of murder or sexual offenses as long as they completed their sentences, returning citizens would get to vote again.
1: So we had family members, friends, neighbors of people with convictions, signing petitions, going through the community and getting people to collect petitions. I say it's a huge, vibrant vision that Desmond had. It's also a very simple vision. Collect petitions and send them to a PO box.
0: So the FRRC and many other organizations joined forces to get it done. To get Amendment 4 on the ballot, they needed signatures from 766,200 people. And by definition, the people most impacted couldn't be among them. Ex-felons couldn't vote and sign the petition. But Desmond had a vision and a strategy. He'd start by asking people one question.
2: Do you know anyone who you love who's ever made a mistake?
0: He asked returning citizens to tell their loved ones about the movement.
2: What would it look like if they were to get five family members who love them to pledge to vote for them because they love them?
0: That powerful focus on love. It's the opposite of how society sees people with felony
1: convictions. As a person with a felony conviction, society is set up to legally hate you, to legally tell you you can't live in certain places, legally tell you that you can't work in certain places, legally say that you can't, you know, have access to society and community in the same way that other people do.
0: But they weren't going to get on the ballot by appealing to the family members of ex-felons alone. The movement needed wide support. Neil's political experience told him they'd have to get Republicans and white conservatives on board, too. He says that turned out to be easier than he thought.
1: Des and I used to have this kind of joke that it was kind of 20 minutes and a cup of coffee rule and you could convince anybody to support Amendment 4 because the truth is it's good for everybody.
0: And any given day, Neil might go to an NAACP meeting, a Unitarian church, and a MAGA rally, all for Amendment 4.
1: One of the things that hit me at the MAGA event, some guy comes up to me. And he's like, man, he's like, dude, that takes some balls to get up here in front of a bunch of people you don't know and talk about how you have a felony conviction. He's like, I know, because I got one. And he's standing there with his wife and he's got long kind of gray hair and a beard. And she has a Donald Trump dress. Right. So Trump is on the dress. Right. He's like, my wife and I come to this every month. He's like, you don't have to come back. I got us. They built a wide
0: network of grassroots volunteers who crossed political divides.
2: A lot of folks that have been impacted by the criminal justice system is not impacted because of their political preferences. And that I believe created a great opportunity to
1: engage people across all spectrums, whether it's racial, political. We were talking language that was very values-based. We avoided kind of political jargon and, and things that were divisive or that would trigger divisiveness. And we ultimately talked about forgiveness and redemption and restoration.
0: The work was demanding. There was lots of driving, delivering, counting petitions by hand.
1: My mother-in-law would
2: turn her living room into Command Central to separate all the petitions by counties so that I could then put them in my car and drive around the state of Florida and personally deliver these petitions to supervise the elections in almost every county.
0: Desmond and Neil and the other groups in the coalition crisscrossed Florida's 67 counties for months, talking to people, voter by voter.
3: We've all made mistakes. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they just need a second chance. What's yeah. your name? My name's
1: Cheryl. Cheryl, I'm Neil. Yeah. Very nice to meet you.
0: Finally, the day came. On November 6, 2018, Amendment 4 was on the ballot. Florida voters passed it, by a huge margin. In fact, more people voted to end the voting ban than for big-ticket political races that year.
2: We had a million more people vote for this amendment than they voted for the governor of this state. We needed 60. We basically got almost 65% of the vote that said yes. And so it was very clear that, listen, this is how we do things, and it was beautiful.
1: And we had a ball. We laughed, we learned a lot from each other.
0: Soon after, Desmond went to vote for the first time since his conviction
2: what it's all about. This represents me being a citizen again, being able to have a voice heard. My voice heard. <laughs> I felt like I was walking on hallowed ground because my mind started thinking about the lives that were lost just so I could have the right to vote. Whether they were my ancestors that was being hung and, and burned alive and murdered. And when I got there and I got my ballot and and I I went into the voting booth, I knew that I was engaging in a sacred act.
0: But that sacred act would soon be threatened once again. The passage of Amendment 4 made national headlines. Here in Florida was a real bipartisan grassroots win. But not everyone was thrilled. There were rumblings that restoring the vote to convicted felons would hurt Republicans in Florida. Here is Neil.
1: Republican political people who were way more interested in how somebody was going to vote than whether they could vote had that calculus that the majority of people in Florida with felony convictions were black, and that the numbers show that. Most Black Americans vote Democrat, and therefore this would benefit Democrats.
0: So Republicans created a plan. They harped on one detail. The law said that returning citizens would get their vote back if they completed, quote, the terms of their sentences. So Republican legislators argued that these terms included paying back any fines, fees, or monetary restitution attached to people's convictions, not just the prison term. So in 2019, Florida lawmakers passed a law that made this change official. The new law said that Amendment 4 would only give people their right to vote back if they paid back all fines and fees. With this change, half of the nearly million and a half people who benefited from Amendment 4 lost their right to vote again. Hi. Is that Coral? Yes. Live and in the flesh? really nice to finally meet you. Absolutely. People like Coral Shepherd. I always like to pair
3: up with somebody who is African-American because it just blew the stigmas. They're looking at who's the white girl and what is she doing here?
0: Coral volunteered for Amendment 4, going door to door. And she's also the co-founder of Empowered to Change, a Florida nonprofit organization that helps people who need a second chance.
3: This is where we have clothes for clothes, hygienes, resources for women that are coming out of prison, institutions, and for sex trafficking
0: victims. Coral herself used to be in prison. Now she's subject to the new fines and fees loophole created in Amendment 4.
3: I'll never have my right to vote. Unless I come into the money, which I have faith and believe that I can, I'll never be able to vote because I don't have $200,000 to give somebody.
0: $200,000. That's what Coral owes in restitution for the crime she was convicted of. It's easy to rack up hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines and fees if you're convicted of a felony. People convicted of a crime in Florida have to pay the government back for their public defenders, parole officers, Court-ordered drug testing, electronic monitoring, lie detector tests, and on and on. And many of these fees are paid to private companies that are government contractors. Florida allows private debt collection firms to add up to a 40% surcharge on unpaid court debt. All of these different entities means there's no easy way for someone to even know how much they owe and to whom. The new law was a huge blow to people like Coral. I got to know Coral and her history, how she ended up in prison in her 20s. Growing up, Coral was the daughter of a Vietnam War vet who was often abusive, she told me. When she was a teenager, she says her dad lost touch with reality, and keeping up with his mental illness meant she couldn't keep up with school. And then, in a tragic accident, her father was gone.
3: When I was 21, my dad's house in Oklahoma exploded and he was inside of it. And then, six months after that, I went in for an emergency surgery, a radical hysterectomy, and then never being able to have children. And all I ever wanted to be was a mom.
0: All of this trauma triggered Coral's coping mechanism her addictions.
3: That was how I made myself feel better, was by shopping or spending money, or it was some sort of escape from the reality of the crumbling, everything crumbling around me.
0: Coral cashed out checks from her job to feed this shopping addiction.
3: I was working for a nonprofit agency. There was no really no checks and balances. And so I could write a check and I could take it to the bank and then they would cash it for me. I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't control it. I couldn't, I could not do it.
0: Eventually, Coral turned herself in and got a 15-year sentence for check fraud.
3: You got some programming while you were in the institution. I took use of those things and services that were provided for me, for me to come out a better person than when I went in.
0: Today, she says, a lot of people can't believe her story. They assume when they see her, she's just a typical suburban housewife.
3: If you saw me at the grocery store, you would never guess that I'd been to prison and I had a 15-year sentence, that I was five and 10 years of probation.
0: Or that she owes the government around $200,000 in restitution. Coral became a super volunteer for FRRC. She poured her heart and soul into getting Amendment 4 passed. Like Neil, Coral leans conservative because of her upbringing. And she was at the Capitol when a group of Republicans passed the loophole that stripped her of her right to vote. I asked her about it.
3: Do you remember like the moment that I happened? Yeah. I remember um, feeling sick and conflicted in the way that Amendment 4 did pass. And there were many, many people who would get to vote. But I would never vote. Then my voice would never be heard. And I've changed my life. And I work hard in my community to help other people change their life. And what it would like to tell me is that my voice doesn't matter if I don't have money. And I know that that's not true because my voice does matter regardless of whether I have money or not. It matters every day when I see people and I interact with people and I help other people.
0: Sitting there with Coral surrounded by all the evidence of how she serves her community, the room of donations, the awards on the shelf for being the best nonprofit in the county. I can't believe that Coral is still fighting for her right to vote. She does more acts of citizenship for her community than most people who vote. Despite the last minute political power grab by Florida's Republican lawmakers, Desmond told me that the movement they built was successful in proving one fundamental truth about who we are as Americans. Be it people on the left or right, white or black.
2: We, the people, decided that something wasn't right with felon disenfranchisement. We decided it wasn't fair. We decided that when a debt is paid, it's paid right we decided that this is a nation of second chances and everyone deserves a second chance
0: the grassroots coalition that came together to pass amendment 4 is still at work they're doing everything they can to reverse the impact of the fines and fees law here's neil
1: we had our, our fines and fees program and during the 2020 cycle we raised over 30 million dollars and paid 44,000 people's financial obligations
0: 44,000 people with their debts wiped out, and they're working on getting other people's fines turned into community service hours. It gives me hope that even though some people in power are determined to corrupt our democracy by silencing voices, this grassroots, multiracial coalition is breaking through. And their victories are helping people from all walks of life
2: traveling around the state, of course, rallying troops and all that. I quickly noticed that, wait a minute, it was, I think it's more white people who can't vote than black folk. I realized early on that this didn't need to be a black or white issue. It didn't need to be a demo Republican issue. It needed to be an all American issue.
0: It strikes me that everyone in this story found their way after they'd once been lost. It made me think of how that was possible because someone loved them enough to believe that they deserved another shot. And in those second chances, in those moments when life offers you a way to bounce back, sometimes that's when you find your people because you're able to recognize the pain you've gone through in them. Like how Neil was able to see himself in Desmond. And now, a white conservative and a Black civil rights leader have a bond that's hard to break. Their friendship is rooted in solidarity. They've made an authentic connection, even with one another's family members.
2: I've already commandeered his mama, because his mother is my mother now, Mama Vos. (laughs) As a matter of fact, my wife is always making these smart comments about me and Neil, talking about we're two peas in a pod.
1: Man, it's so much fun to do life with Desmond Mead because he brings that subversive, really powerful, reorienting kind of mindset kind of stuff. I've seen it in my life where it's like once you reorient your life around love, the opportunities open up. Before I left Florida, Neil took me
0: for a walk to the site of an old monument, recently torn down a statue that was put up in the 1960s as a backlash against civil rights.
1: We had a Robert E. Lee bust and statue here in downtown Fort Myers. It was put up right after Supreme Court decision ruled that Lee County Health Systems, the only health care provider in this county, had to serve Black people. Once that ruling came down, there was a response by the community to put up this statue.
0: I look down at the empty space where the Lee Monument once stood. Nothing but gravel in its place. The lifelong felony ban on voting was another kind of Confederate monument, just like the one that once stood here. Today, enough people in Florida are saying, we can take it all down.
1: we're seeing the opposite play out. We're seeing a community rise up and say, those aren't my values.
0: It made me think of how it's not just people who deserve a second chance. Our country does too. A second chance to make a real democracy. Just because the founders didn't think we could all be citizens, or just because earlier generations wanted to hoard the freedom to vote, doesn't mean that this generation now can't finally redeem our democracy. And maybe love is exactly the right strategy, just as it was for the coalition. Because if we love this country enough to believe that it doesn't have to be defined by its worst moments, we can keep fighting to give this country a second chance. next time on the sum of us i'm going to tell you about the people in Kansas City, Missouri fighting for a living wage in the fast food industry people who never thought they'd link arms with each other We was on strike
1: somewhere and i just i just grabbed the white workers' hand you know what i'm saying you've never done that in your life hold a white man's hand
3: this was the first time in my life i had seen so many people of so many different backgrounds in the same room. And at that point, I kind of felt this
2: shift in my mindset.
0: A labor movement dismantling racism on our next episode. From higher ground, this is The Sum of Us. Created and hosted by me, Heather McGee and produced by Futuro Studios. Our producers are Kasim Shepherd, Ryan Kailoth, Emil C. Quiroz, Joaquin Cutler, and Juan Diego Ramirez, with help from Liliana Ruiz, Sophia Lowe, Susanna Kemp, and Alyssa Vladimir. Our senior producers are Nicole Rothwell, Jeannie Montalvo, and Fernanda Echaveri. We're edited by Sandy Ratley and Maria Garcia. Executive produced for Futuro by Marlon Bishop. Mixing by Stephanie LeBeau and Julia Caruso. Research by Lynn Cantor and Carolyn Lipka. Executive producers for Higher Ground are Mukta Mohan, Dan Fearman, Anna Holmes, and Janae Marable. Jenna Levin is our editorial assistant. Executive producers for Spotify are Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, Julie McNamara, and Corinne Gilliard. Our original music and theme song is by The Sacred Souls. Join us for the next episode of The Sum of Us, a podcast in search of hope and solidarity.